0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: this is the vice guide to right now your inside look into the best of vice it's monday march 25th i'm sophie Casas. today we hear from Broadley's diana torget about the congressional trans equality task force Massachusetts Representative Joe Kennedy is the current chair of the Congressional Trans Equality Task Force, which was established in 2015, just a few years after Joe Biden called the fight for transgender liberty the civil rights issue of our time. But under President Trump, the renewed pressure to eliminate protections surrounding trans equality has reached an inflection point. This has positioned the task force as one of the most important organizations fighting for transgender rights on a federal level. It's the only body operating within the federal government with a mandate to address discrimination against trans people. And because of this, Joe Kennedy and his colleagues now find themselves at the federal forefront of a civil rights movement. So today, we've got Broadly senior editor Amy Rose Spiegel speaking with reporter Diana Torget on the story.
0: Hi, Diana.
2: Hey, Amy Rose.
0: So, you've been working on this piece for about a month, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what brought you to Congress to meet Joe Kennedy III and learn about the work that he's mm-hmm. doing with the Transgender Task Force.
2: Yeah, so it's somewhat of a long story. The Transgender Equality Task Force is a committee that exists within the LGBT Equality Caucus, and that's a part of of Congress. So within Congress, there are a number of representatives and senators sitting in the LGBT Equality Caucus who essentially fight for. LGBT equality as you can probably connect the dots the names sort of speak for themselves um, in 2015 there was a new initiative which was to try and address issues of transgender inequality and discrimination it was particularly inspired by the increased reports that were happening nationally around the violence that's committed against transgender women and specifically trans women of color at disproportionate rates so in the fall of 2015 they launched the Trans Equality Task Force. And I went down to Washington, D.C. at that time because it was such a historic moment. You know, we've never really had that level of recognition by such high levels of the government before. So to have people within Congress who are formally organizing around transgender equality uh, was a big deal. And it was coming at an interesting time in American history preceding the rise of Donald Trump to political power. And so that began what essentially is the last four years of the task force's existence leading up to today.
0: Great. And so can you take us through, in 2015, what the political climate was surrounding transgender rights and equality? Why was that such a pivotal moment?
2: By 2015, we had already had a, a few years of immense increased representation and visibility around trans issues. So we started seeing Hollywood and other entertainment industries have more transgender narratives coming out that coincided at the same time with a variety of other cultural moments where trans people were experiencing increased visibility. And that's important because it's one of the only ways that we can communicate to our nation about different social messages. And for trans people, we have really never had historically any kind of large scale public recognition of the existence of our community and the issues facing the community. So a lot of that started coming in by 2015 through entertainment, through pop culture, as well as through other ways, like uh, when, you know, one of the largest leaks and whistleblower history came from a trans woman named Chelsea Manning, right? So there are a lot of different things happening at the same time leading up to 2015 that sort of brought the issue and the concept of transgender people into the cultural foray.
0: So this is all taking place at the tail end of an administration that had been heavily supportive of transgender rights. Joe Biden had called transgender rights the civil rights issue of our time. Legislation was passed in support of trans people. Was that generally the the forward movement surrounding?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The Obama administration, by a very large margin accomplished more for transgender Americans than any other presidential administration in history that came through in a variety of ways and one of the most significant ones is the protections that transgender people were afforded through the Affordable Care Act so having Joe Biden you know the vice president of the United States in 2012 say uh, such a strong statement in support of the idea that transgender issues are actually a civil rights movement was part of this cultural catalyst that took trans rights to the foray in the way we just discussed. So by the time that 2015 was coming around, that administration was on its way out. We'd experienced almost 10 years of incredible change within a community that desperately needed it. And at the same time as you're experiencing that progressive change coming from the Obama administration, we also started seeing a lot of kickback and a lot of social and political pushback from conservatives.
0: Right. And that kickback was more formalized when Trump took office and immediately began an agenda to not only undo, but further impede the rights that transgender people had in place. Can you tell us a little bit about what occurred when Trump took office and what happened in the sphere of transgender liberties after that big change.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there are a number of different widespread assaults against transgender rights that exist primarily on the state level. So there are cases like Gavin Grimm in Virginia, who's fight just to use the restroom in his high school became one of the largest and most important civil rights cases of all time, as he was represented by the ACLU, and that made its way toward the Supreme Court. And that was all happening in that span of time. As the Trump administration, well, the future Trump administration poised to take power, there was a lot of speculation and a lot of deep-seated anxiety within the trans community around what it could mean for someone like Trump and the people, perhaps more importantly, the people he was bringing alongside him into power could do to this community, especially at this very vulnerable point. Because as we'd seen so much progress made under the Obama administration, we'd seen such a large amount of pushback. People fighting against the idea that transgender children should be able to participate in sports or use the restroom. People pushing back against the idea that transgender adults should be able to use restrooms in public spaces. Really extreme, hateful clearly bigoted ideas that were coming across very strongly and very broadly throughout society. And there's this sort of narrative coming back from the right that there is fear mongering within the left around this idea that Trump has never explicitly been anti-transgender or anything like that. So what is the concern here? You know, one need only look at the history of Vice President Michael Pence and his work that has, you know, caused havoc within LGBT communities and the sort of conservative Christian rhetoric that follows that as well as different, you know, sort of allegiances within the Trump administration beyond the individual at power at the helm. And, you know, what was proven out by the time that Trump took power was an immediate proof of concept for a terrible idea that we all sort of saw coming in the trans community, which was, you know, on day one, the respect, the public recognition and the policies supporting transgender people began to be dismantled. It wasn't soon after Trump took power that LGBT was erased from federal government websites. And within just a few months after he took office, Trump began announcing, Transgender people might no longer be fit to serve in the United States military. Many different things happened following the Trump administration's occupation of the federal government that dismantled the work that the Obama administration had done.
0: So the context in which Joe Kennedy is chairman of the Trans Equality Task Force is quite different. As you mentioned, we are experiencing a lot of different rollbacks to trans rights at once. The overarching one may be the memo that the New York Times reported on, which has not been printed in full, but which reveals the Trump administration trying to define what it is to be transgender out of existence in saying that gender is defined by sex determined at birth and failing that genetic testing. We're also seeing right now the Supreme Court upholding Donald Trump's ban on transgender people in the military. And though there's a nationwide injunction that is blocking that from being enforced right now, no one is certain of the future of transgender people's ability to serve. So the task force has a lot. To do right now. And I'd love to know when you spoke with Joe Kennedy when you visited Washington, what he sees as the key initiatives that the task force is undertaking at the moment.
2: Yeah. So, you know, for the past four years, the task force in my estimation, hadn't accomplished that much. It was sort of relaunched in 2017. I think that was probably in response to an increased need for it under this administration. It's still not always clear exactly how much organizations within Congress can accomplish, but they're very important in terms of unifying lines of political ideas and objectives and goals between House Representatives and the Senate in order to accomplish progressive ideals in this case. By 2019, You know, we've seen so many instances from the Trump administration that is just an outright assault on the very existence and humanity of trans people, that there really isn't any room for pause to consider whether or not this is a conversation that needs to be had politically. And I think that Joe Kennedy rose to the occasion by taking the chairmanship of the task force. It wasn't something that he in my experience, interviewing him, thought that he would do. I don't think it's an issue that came to him immediately. I think it's one that became clear to him through his constituents and the issues that matter to the people who he represents. And so today, there is a the very strong desire within the new Congress, which we know is the most diverse Congress in history, to change what's happening and stop inequality from continuing to be enforced on the other side of the aisle. Because unfortunately, these are virtually bipartisan issues. It's very difficult to get members of the Republican Party to stand up against anti-transgender initiatives. But at the same time, what you see in state legislatures across the country, is there is a lack of interest within Republican representatives to push for anti-transgender measures. This was proven out in North Carolina after the passage of HB2, which devastated that state economically. That was a bill that sought to eliminate transgender protections. And as a consequence, they lost a large number of business opportunities that cost the state billions of dollars. And so you see other states still today, South Dakota being one of them, trying to push forward similar anti-transgender agendas and Republicans voting against them, which is just to say that I think part of the initiative to oppress transgender people actively is being pushed by a minority of extremists, who are sometimes coming from an extreme religious perspective, but regardless, are always coming from an extremist conservative perspective. And it's not clear that their positions represent the perspectives of their constituents. And that's a point that was made to me by many of the Congress people that I spoke with in Washington, D.C.
0: In raising that agitating against transgender rights isn't reflective of the communities that lawmakers serve, I think it's also worth pointing out that given the dearth of transgender politicians who are actually able to inform these decisions as representatives in Congress, how do you see the role of Joe Kennedy, who is a cis man? What does it mean that he's taking up this mantle? And what does it mean for him to be a powerful ally when he's coming from this outside of a transgender perspective directly as a person?
2: The House of Representatives today is more diverse than it ever has been before. But doesn't mean that we have transgender representatives sitting in Congress. That doesn't mean that we're there yet. So knowing that and knowing the history of this country, Knowing the extreme inequality and extreme disparity between the mission of the United States, the stated objective of the United States to give equality under the law to every person has always historically failed. This is a point that Joe Kennedy made to me over and over again, that's always been selective. It's always been to certain kinds of people, white Protestant men who own property for instance from the beginning. And then movements that seek to correct that throughout time, right? And transgender rights have all but been forgotten from history and time. They are just now becoming something that's being politically talked about. And there's nothing more valuable that we could have than someone who is part of a political dynasty like Joe Kennedy is, rising to the helm of an organization within Congress that is explicitly demanding that the promise made in the American Constitution is given to transgender people in the United States.
0: Diana, given that you had this incredibly fruitful conversation with Joe Kennedy, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that discussion. Where did you meet him? What issues really seem to be the ones that he finds most mobilizing and the ones that he feels strongest about pushing
2: forward? It was really wonderful going to D.C. this year because... The last time I was there around this issue was four years ago. And to see what they were doing then was really inspiring to me. But I went now because I saw that there was a sense of renewed action. And given the nature of my work, you know, I cover trans politics all the time. I'm deeply invested in this. I want to see what's happening. And I really wanted to get a chance to sit down with this member of Congress who is part of this famous legacy of politicians who have historically fought for civil rights taking up the mantle of one of the more controversial civil rights issues that exist today. Why? What does it actually look like to be in a room and talk to him and see what's happening? So there are three flag posts outside of any Congressperson's office. One of them is reserved for the United States flag. The other is reserved for the flag of the state from which that person comes. And the third is open to them. It can have any flag in it they want. And there are at least two members of Congress today who are holding transgender flags. These are flags that stand within congressional buildings. The public may enter and see. The people who represent vast populations of American people are placing symbols of one of the most forgotten, reviled, and highly scrutinized populations proudly out in the hallway. And I talked a lot with different people about the significance of that. You know, it's symbolic. It doesn't achieve anything politically in the moment, but what it does is change the way anyone who walks by that door thinks about political issues, anyone who wants to meet with that congressperson has to acknowledge that this is an issue that matters to me. It matters to me as much as my allegiance to this nation, as much as my allegiance to the state from which I come, and the people who I represent there. So it's hugely meaningful to see the way in which transgender representation has made its way into the highest levels of our republic. Speaking with Joe Kennedy was an immensely moving experience because, as you can imagine, he has that thing about him that the Kennedy family has, the way he speaks, the passion that he comes from. The way he talked about transgender issues was unlike any other politician who is not transgender themselves, has ever spoken about politics related to transgender communities to me before. It was incredibly moving. And partially why that was so important was because Kennedy deeply understood that this issue isn't about gender. This issue isn't about sexuality. It's about the foundation of our country. And to him, the idea that there should be any space for certain members, select minorities, to be excluded from the promise made by our forefathers and foremothers, as he added to, is so deeply un-American that there's a visible sense of offense I saw in him to the idea that an administration or a political agenda would gleefully pursue the disenfranchisement of a portion of this population. The transgender population is special in part because we come from every sect of society. There are transgender people who are poor. There are transgender people who are rich. There are transgender people who are white, who are people of color, who are non-binary, who are men, who are women, who are immigrants, who are Native Americans, there are indigenous populations of transgender people who've been here much longer than colonial Americans. You know, The, the history of transgender people in the world is so diverse. So the idea that you could possibly Parse out this part of the population and discriminate against them, I think holds a great level of offense to the kind of perspective that someone like Joe Kennedy has on what the purpose of our country is. And so, in talking to him, you know, this wasn't an issue that necessarily he was born understanding or even you know, in the last 10 years had a deep understanding of. But it's one that by the time it became something clear to him couldn't be more important than any other issue that affects the discrimination and civil rights in the United States. I think the memo that was exposed by the New York Times represented, you know, and for context, that memo was an interdepartment secret plan to change legal definitions of sex in such a way that transgender people, and this is the New York Times language, would be defined out of existence. And that is an accurate description of what that memo, as you previously described, would do. Not more disturbing, but perhaps equally disturbing, is the impact that such a redefining of sex would have on all people. Because transgender people are not the only people who seek to be free from social constraints around what it means to be men and women. So this kind of memo circulating within the top tiers of our government organizations isn't just a political talking point or a concern, it's an outrageous and surreal social experiment and reconstruction of the foundation of what we understand to be society and social progress. And in talking with Joe Kennedy about that memo, that is a point that really resonated with him. It was deeply disturbing, the more that we talked about it to him, that there would be such secret planning occurring within the Trump administration. And in the wake of the reporting from the New York Times, that that memo didn't surface. That memo remained hidden and secret, and unseen by anyone outside of the people who wrote it. And the reporter at the New York Times who obtained it, but hasn't shared it with anyone, and it was never published in full. In speaking with Kennedy, as we addressed the memo, he perked up, and there was fire in his eyes. You know, He looked to his aid. He talked passionately about a desire to see it. And I asked him if it was going to become something that the task force was interested in pursuing. And he said that it was something that he was going to pursue. And these were his words paraphrased. But whether that comes through the Transgender Equality Task Force or the House Oversight Committee or the Judiciary Committee, but it became something that he was more interested in once we raised that point. And I think it helps to illustrate the passion behind which he is interested in pursuing things that are happening. Because the way he saw it was, you know, there are classified documents that are difficult and reasonable to not be accessed to certain people but this this is a document that's seeking to redefine society and to him that was very important and it was very important that that should not be kept secret and within um, I think 14 days you know of our meeting he spoke about it publicly on the floor of Congress demanding to see it so here we're seeing you know reporting having an, an a real impact in some of the highest levels of politics with one of the most important progressive politicians truly living up to the promise that he's made as the chairman of the Transgender Equality Task Force and pursuing equality and freedom for transgender people. We'll see what happens in the exposure of that memo or the lack thereof. But to have someone who can sit down with a transgender journalist like me, who listens to a question that I have really intently, and then to very quickly communicate that to his staff and make it a part of his agenda, and then we see within just a matter of days, viral videos circulating online of him demanding that in Congress, is immensely important when we're thinking about the way in which journalism and politics, matter today more than ever for transparency and for the pushing of some of the most important issues that go the most unseen. And if we don't ask these questions, if we don't talk to the right people, if we don't get on the ground, then we're not going to make the kind of progress that's possible today. This article moved me in a deep way because it was one of the most solid examples that I have seen in my work of a politician who does care about an issue rapidly taking up that cause and putting it into effect.
0: Thanks so much, Diana.
2: Um, You're more than welcome.
1: (laughs) You can read Diana's full story at broadly.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure to tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.